Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. It's Matthew with you here. And on this episode, I've got quite a lot of hobby-related stuff to talk through. No guests today, so unfortunately you're just stuck with me. But fear not, we've plenty to talk about and I'm sure we could get through it together. <laughs> that sounds really miserable, doesn't it? I'm sure we could endure this. Tell you what, open your, your podcatcher or your podcast app and uh, stick it up to double speed and then you'll be able to battle through it much quicker. So anyway, uh, the thing I want to kick off with is actually a little request for voice feedback. So I've decided to, to experiment with doing this new feature, this question of the month feature. Month, I can't speak properly. It's early in the morning time of recording. Uh, so what I'd like you to do, if you would be so kind as to indulge me, is to head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. That's all one word. And there's a wee button there and you can record some audio feedback. And the question that I'm asking for February, throughout February 2024, time of recording, is Warhammer the Old World, will you be playing it? And if so, why? And if not, why not? I'm just curious to, to you know, everyone's got an opinion on this. Everyone in the hobby's got an opinion on this, I would say. And uh, I just, I, I'm really interested to hear yours. So, you know, it could be as little or as long feedback as you like. I, I don't know what the cap is, maybe five minutes or something like that. I don't imagine you'd need any longer than that. But please do let me know your opinions on the matter. You could just, uh, I, I think this thing works better if you're on a computer, but you could potentially do it on your phone as well. It's not an actual phone call, by the way. It's just a audio record button. And obviously, you know, if you if you have your own podcast, if you have a YouTube channel, an Instagram account, a, a website, a blog, feel free to give that a wee shout out too and uh, send the masses of listeners that this podcast has your way as well. So like I say, bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail is the page that you'll find the, the voice feedback button. So Warhammer the Old World, will you be playing it? If so, why? And if not, why not? So with that out of the way, uh, what's been the latest at my end? I uh, I did manage to play a game with Robert. We played a game of Brutal Quest set in more time with a, a scenario sort of reskinned from a book that I'm going to talk about later on called Sci-Fi Skirmish Scenarios by John Lambshead. So I know that I've usually done like audio battle reports before and we, we tried a different format there. Basically, I, I had a couple of lavalier mics, uh, wireless mics, you know, that just pin onto your, your jersey. And I thought, well, instead of, instead of doing a preamble to this game and then we catch up maybe sort of halfway through to find out what's going on and then we, we talk about it uh, post-game as well, I just thought, like, let's just leave the mics on and, and, you know, I'll record the whole game and then I'll edit it into some coherent that would work in an audio format. But it was nearly three hours of audio. Uh, you know, just th there'd be so much to go through and I'm not entirely convinced it would make for a, a good listening experience. So I, I think I'll just... Uh, I'll probably not edit that up and publish it, at least anytime soon. Uh, so we did have a really good game. Like, it went really well, um, really enjoyable. Like I've, I've spoke about before, Brutal Quest and, and its sister game, Planet 28. These are really good Wii systems. Really, really like those. Uh, so we, like I say, we used more time as the setting. And I went with um, 
two different like small war bands, so almost party like war bands, the the party of four. So you know, you, your your sorcerer, both both parties had one of those. We had the the sort of small dwarf, like heavily armored character, the the big tough barbarian character, and the ranger style character. So I went the goodies because I am a goodie. Uh, I was using my uh, oath sworn miniatures there. And Robert, of course, being a, a very bad person, he went the evil folks. So that was a couple of hobgoblins, a chaos dwarf, and a sort of mutant demon barbarian. So I think I did win in the end. They, they basically the scenario was, and it, like I say, this was reskinned because the, the books for sci-fi skirmish scenarios. Uh, so it was a sort of a collection mission. So there were a number of objectives on the tabletop, and. These were basically, uh, I used little tarantula miniatures as, as the markers there, because they, they weren't actually in play. But uh, the idea was that characters would need to get up to those objectives, and each turn that they remained unopposed beside them, they would collect, in our instance, in our scenario, it was Warpstone. So I think I, in the end, managed to collect more than Robert did. But again, we were, you know, when you, when you play this kind of game in the narrative spirit, there were opportunities for me to be out of sight quite early because my ranger, he was a little mouse and he had this trait which um, enabled him to basically be quite fast. You know, it was it was kind of random. It involved a dice roll at the start of each turn, but he was lightning quick. So once he'd accumulated a certain amount of, of this warp stone, I could have I just basically got behind a building and hid. And I don't think that Robert would have been able to do anything about that but the time he got up there I could have been away somewhere else so I mean these scenarios could be so easily gamed if you were playing to win but uh, obviously we're not doing that we're playing for the story so you know I, w- I ended up bringing them back into play and, and kind of risking them to do a few more things uh, I had the opportunity to move another couple of characters out of sight and I didn't do that because look like, you're possibly the same as me, but that's just not the way I want to play. Like, I'd rather tell a fun story, lose the game to a, a 90th minute equaliser or whatever, which nearly happened. Like, it was, uh, I'd kind of deliberately left them in sight so that Robert Sorcerer could get this this fireball away in the, it was the last turn of the game. And if he'd killed my ranger, I think he would have got a draw. Uh, but he, he didn't roll very well, and that was that. But good fun game. And uh, yeah, I think I'm in two minds as to whether uh, to do what we've done before with these games and record them. Like I, I have enjoyed doing that. I've enjoyed, uh, you know, doing, like I say, we we have a chat before, we have a chat at halftime and we have a chat at the end. I keep using football metaphors here, don't I? But there's part of my brain that thinks you might, you might be able to get more games in if you take that out of the equation completely so that, you know, there is a wee bit of work goes into recording a game. You still, there, there are other considerations, even down to the fact you need to regularly check in on the audio, make sure things are recording, you know, you have to have the equipment on hand. So part of me thinks, if we're gaming, we should just be gaming, and I should just concentrate on that, and I would probably enjoy it a bit more as well. I would probably get more in, immersed in the game, uh, and I would maybe 
be able to focus more on what was doing in the game, what was happening in the story and let the rules melt into the background as well. Um, just by getting more and more used to one rule system and just take the, the content creation side out of it altogether. And obviously, you know, there are other opportunities like this to to talk about the game on the show. But um I mean it's it's been suggested in a few places. Well maybe a maybe a video battle report and I'm like as much as I appreciate feedback and I appreciate that people would, would like to see that. It's just not something I'm gonna get involved in at all. Video's another thing altogether. Uh it would just add more layers of complexity, uh more layers of production time, things like that. So I'm 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 never ever going to do that. I'll just say that right now, you know. Uh, I'll not be doing any video battle reports. I've done a couple of videos where I've um, just set the table up and I've I've done a quick video showing, you know, the table set up basically. Here's what we're going to play, but I think that's as far as it'll go. Uh, there is a, a YouTube accompaniment channel to this podcast uh, where the audio episodes are just, um, they go up there with a static image background. But I've used that channel to, to stick a couple of wee videos up there. But videos... You know, it's something that I'll just dabble in very rarely, if at all. But I, getting back to the game, like I really enjoyed it, and I want to play more this year. I really do, and uh, if taking the the recording equation out of things makes that happen even once more, then it's going to be worth it. And I'll just talk about the games. I could maybe even get Robert on, you know, a, a different day. We could have a chat about it. But aye, that's kind of what I'm thinking about that at the moment on the the playing front. I did take some photos, you'll find them at bedroombattlefields.com as ever, so I've t- taken some photos of the game, you could see you know, how things were set up, you'll find that wee YouTube video there as well, embedded on the, the post, but yeah, you'll you'll get a wee idea how the table was set up and what the two warbands looked like as well. On the painting front, uh, I have actually got a couple of things finished this side of the new year, so we're we're in early February now. So my 15mm project continues. I was going to say a pace there. It's not really any sort of pace, but it's continuing. It's slow and steady wins the race and all that. So the latest regiment to be completed was my 15mm Chaos Warriors. I'm sure they, they came from Ralpartha. I'm not sure. I'm I'm fairly certain is the, is the better term there. So they were painted up. I got a wee bit of feedback uh, throughout the process in our Discord community. Uh, which I appreciated because I, I I started off by just um, doing a dry brush of like a sort of bronze colour because they're, they're completely armoured from head to toe. So it was just like a bronze dry brush over a, a dark undercoat and I put some leather on the gloves and I think the back of their boots. And then the shields, I went bright red because of course, who doesn't like bright red when you, when you got into the hobby in the mid-90s like I did? So... The shields, and then um, I think it was Rob who'd said, go and put some red on the, the helmets as well. So I did that too, and I'm pleased with how that came out. So the shields are, it's basically Rudolph's nose. Like, I'll, I'll definitely need to put a, a wee decal transfer on each one to to add something to it, but that'll, that'll come in time. I think I'm going to focus on painting up these two armies, the good army and the bad army, and... Uh, I've got a fair idea, like the decals that I could put on, but I, I'm not getting too distracted with that at the moment because I'm still painting my way through other things. So they'll get a wee coat of varnish on them for now and, and call them done. So there was the Chaos Warriors. There was also uh, five trolls as well from, again, I think, Ralpartha. 
so these these would work at 20 mil if they were like human sized trolls but obviously we're, we're using them in 15 mil they've got that extra height and bulk so I've got them in a row of five they're housed in a a movement tray from Warbases, who I've spoke about uh, on a previous episode as well. So I'm pleased with how they came out. I used uh, the Frost Heart contrast paint on the skin to give them that kind of bluey, turquoise type tone. So I am happy with them. They didn't need a lot. They were really easy models to paint. Um, that that balance between like enough detail but not an obscene amount. So you kind of hit that sweet spot where it's it's fun to paint, but you don't just think it's bland, if that makes any sense at all. So yeah, got them done. I actually did a wee post as well on the site showing works in progress. I never, I never put content out to say like, here's how to do something. It's more just a documentation of like, here's a thing that's worked for me and, and here's how I do it and here's why I do it. So I decided to take some pictures of, of these models like, basically from the point they were glued to the bases throughout the, you know, I, I'm talking about the fact that I do I do the base before I do the undercoat. And I don't know if that's particularly unusual, like maybe, maybe a lot of other folk do that too. But there's a few reasons I do that. I mean, mainly it's, it's a workflow thing. I find it just makes the process quicker and more efficient for me. But also I like the overall consistency that I get because I'm doing... I'm doing the zenithal undercoat, the zenithal highlight, and I find if the if the basing material's already there, it just uh, it, it makes it more consistent, if that makes sense. So I put a post up on bedroombattlefields.com showing the, the different stages of that, so you'll get a wee look at that if you fancy, and you'll see the, the finished article as well, the finished trolls, along with their, uh, their comrades, the finished chaos warriors. The, the bad army, it's... I've talked about this, it's like a Battlemasters inspired bad army because there's orcs and goblins and chaos warriors and, you know, just just generally bad things in this army, like the old classic Battlemasters baddies. So the bad guys are kind of eking ahead of the good guys at this stage in terms of what's been painted because uh, I've got that big, like, I don't know what you would call him, a big rock demon type guy. He was a freebie from alternative armies. I've got him, I've got my trolls. And that's two units now, a unit of Chaos Warriors and a unit of Orc Warriors. The good guys at this stage, I'm sure they only have the, the Light like Paladin Knights. Uh, so they've been painted up. And I think that's it for the good guys at this stage. So I'm sorting them out with a cannon. I'm in the process of painting up this cannon at the moment. So they'll, they've got a war machine in there. And then I think I'm going to probably focus next on getting their cavalry or their archers in place. So I, I do have both armies, uh, both 15 mil armies. Like I've said on a previous episode, two full armies. I'd be surprised if it was much more than like 110, 120 pounds for the lot. So great value at this scale. And I st I'm still really happy with the aesthetic. I don't feel like it's proper crunched down, you know, 6 mil or that. Again, a scale I really respect, but... Just not quite the right aesthetic for me, so I am really, really enjoying the the fifteen mil stuff, and I'm looking forward to to seeing what's next with that and get get more of them on the painting table. And as long time listeners to the podcast will know, my two year old daughter is a a labyrinth super fan these days, so that prompted me to have a wee look on Etsy for a couple of things. So first and foremost, I got I got a really good um, twenty eight mil Jareth 
slash David Bowie miniature. And he's now painted up, so you'll find a picture of him on bedroombattlefields.com. But there there were actually um there were a couple of other labyrinth options on Etsy. I really like Etsy for stuff like this. Uh, so I got the basically the rest of the labyrinth cast. Ludo, Hoggle, Sarah, and Diddy my son. I know I know them all inside out now because I'm a wee girl. Uh, so I got them. I don't know if you'd call these 3D prints. I don't I, I don't know how they were made, but the they're much more like a, a robust plastic, I would say. Uh, which is good because they're for a two-year-old to play with. So I got these, again, photos on bedroombattlefields.com and uh, they came really quick, which is good. Sometimes Etsy, you, you do wait a wee while, understand it. It's all sort of independent folks doing their best with substandard services like Royal Mail, but these came really quick and uh, I was I was thinking, I had this funny thought as well. I was like, should I, should I paint them before I... I give them to my daughter. Uh, could she pay, Could she play unpainted? And then I thought, well, that's ridiculous. She's two. Uh, so I, I showed her them and she was over the moon. So suddenly these wee characters, she's got this little toy cafe uh, with Peter Rabbit. Miniature, I was going to call them miniatures. They are pretty much 28mm scale. So that's a wee idea for another day. But uh, I, I just see the, the labyrinth caster in this wee cafe that she's got, you know, uh, Ludo, the big hairy guy, he's sitting having a, a cup of coffee with like um, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle, uh, Peter Rabbit or somebody like that. But uh, in the evenings, uh, when I've had the opportunity to paint, I've been sneaking them upstairs, uh, got a black base coat, did a wee zenithal highlight for them. And I've done the old skeleton horde uh, contrast, like just all over the whole thing to, to kind of add some detail. That's just the way I paint things. Uh, but each each time I've been bringing them back down and uh, you can't be too precious about these things because again they were bought for a two year old to play with but I had the black undercoat on and uh, the next day I see her and she's, she's just got two of them she usually plays really well with stuff she's got a great imagination but she's just for some reason got two of them and she's just battering them together and I could I could literally see the wee chips in them I, I didn't say anything to her I don't want to go down that route don't do that you know I've painted these uh, these are painted miniatures so um, aye, I've been getting them back upstairs when I can and just uh, touching the wee areas up that she's chipped and they'll inevitably get chipped again but uh you know, who knows in the future if if she decides she likes painting or wants to paint or that um, at a, a semi-serious level, then we'll we'll strip them and we'll paint them again. I'll let her paint them. But they're great wee models. Like like I say, they 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 have got a decent level of detail, but they they definitely err on the durability. I would say, which is great again for for their use case for the case that they are intended. But um, it's good to know that they'll. They'll always be fine for getting a cup of coffee and a wee wooden pizza alongside, like say, the cast of Peter Rabbit and some of the other wee toys that she's got as well. Uh, back to Etsy, back to shopping on Etsy, and uh, I did get some really good 3D Man of War ships that I've started working on as well. So I bought um, I bought a fleet each from two different sellers, and I'm really impressed with both. I've got them now. Uh, so again photos and links on bedroombattlefields.com but I've started painting away on those I used uh, as much as I've seen photos of Armada which is the, the rule set that I intend to use when I finally get these on the tabletop uh, the basis for Armada I've always seen them being the clear acrylic so that you could see the, the playing mat, the sea underneath but 
I thought there was a good opportunity here to to use MDF and to to base them up with a kind of water effect. So I got my appropriate sized bases, which I've never ever done before. I've never like um, sought out to find you know a base of a particular size, but it's quite important for this game and how the ships turn and maneuver and stuff like that. So. I got my bases ordered up from War Bases and I used the Vallejo plastic putty to... I just covered the base around the ship and uh, just moved that around with my wee... I was going to call it my wee pokey stick. That's the technical term for a tool that I use for jobs like this, the wee pokey stick. So, you know, got it not too hard to make something just look like it's it's liquid because you don't need any ability for that. So... Once that had hardened up and again I got my undercoat on the, the ships and I've used the contrast paint Azurman Blue, I think that's what it's called. So I covered the the wave effect in that and then I used my old classic Skull White from the mid-90s, genuine pot of Skull White. I just dry brushed a bit of that over the... Um, over the waves as well, just to give them the, the sort of white foamy edges. So I'm really pleased with how it's turned out. Again, you'll see photos on the website if you're interested. And the way I'm painting these ships as well, I've never done ships before, but I'm going really basic but bright and bold. So I, I guess that's the three Bs there. There's a, there's potential there, isn't there? But yeah, not doing a lot of different colours. I just want them to really stand out. There's, I think there's six or seven ships in each fleet. So I just, I want a really strong contrast between each in terms of their sails. Uh, so I'm not doing a lot to them, like I say. And the, the fleet that I'm working on at the moment, it's like big, bright red and yellow uh, sails. I was going to call them banners. Sails is the word. So I'm not quite sure what I'll do with the other fleet when it when it comes to painting them. But again, I'm I'm want to do something that's in quite a striking contrast to the the rival fleet. So that'll be a work in progress over the next few months, but I'm getting through them quite quickly because again, it's 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 all about big areas, big colours, uh, but it's, it's really enjoyable. It's a good palette cleanser um, from, you know, painting up the stuff that I usually paint up as well. Some other stuff that I'm painting as well, a couple of captive slash prisoner miniatures from Midlum. These will come in handy for, for narrative scenarios, basically. There's one guy, he's, uh, he's on his knees with his hands tied behind his back and his head kind of bowed. And the other guy is standing up, hands behind the back with a, a bag on his head. So neither of these guys having a great time of it, but uh, there'll be scenarios in the future where those miniatures will be just really handy to have for some story-driven reason or another. I also got myself a Kev Adams Demon. Again, I'm, I'm almost going out on a limb and saying this was via Raul Partha, but when I was shopping on there, uh, I spotted this demon and I just uh, I just really liked it. It's it's you know it's like it's like if you asked Alexa, show me what a modern day Games Workshop miniature doesn't look like. This would be the picture that you would get. So this goblin, it's it's got the the charm of a Kev Adams goblin, but it's like a little winged demon guy, and he's got a big old fork as well. So that's a fun miniature that would that would work at any scale. Like I could use them at 28mm, I could use them at 15mm as a slightly bigger, I could use them as like a, a bloodthirster, I suppose, at 15mm, which, which would definitely look quite funny. And in terms of painting, that's about it. Like I say, I'm working on a cannon, I'm working on this big um, sort of Halloween looking, which is funny because it's February, but this big Halloween looking guy with a pumpkin for a head. 
Um, so I just started work on that, and like I say, 15 mil cavalry or archers will probably be next on the list as well. And then I've I've got a ton of varnishing to get through too, but it's all good fun. I don't get loads of time to paint, but when I do, I try and make the most of it, like I'm sure you do as well. On the the podcast and content front, if you listened to our previous episode with Joe McCulloch, which I, I got a lot of good feedback from that, and of course, you know, Joe's always excellent to come on and talk to. We're really lucky to have him in, in this niche of the hobby that, that I think you and I are in, uh, you know, the very story-driven side of things. So it was great to have Joe on, and of course, I, I did ask him that question that I'd asked a few of the... You know, the, the, the well-known names that have been on the show, the, the question about gaming mechanics, and I've really enjoyed the answers to these questions. And I did decide to to go ahead and publish the answers to the, the favourite gaming mechanic question all in one place. So I'll put links to everything, by the way, everything mentioned in this episode, I'll put links in the show notes, but I've got this post now where we have the answers from Joe, along with folks like, you know, Andy Chambers, Rick Priestley, Jervis Johnson... Uh, Thomas Pirinan, Alessio Cavatori and Gav Thorpe. I hope I've not forgotten anyone there, but I've got all the the answers to those guys' favourite gaming mechanics that either they created themselves or that they have just enjoyed in someone else's game. So that's all uh, in written form now in a post on bedroombattlefields.com. So that's a, a post on the favourite gaming mechanics of the Masters, if you like. And like I say, great feedback from that episode with Joe, you know, a lot of discussion about what was really meant by this less is more approach. And um, in, in our Discord community, you know, I did have a, a wee back and forth with Jason, who was, concerns the wrong word, but he, he was, I think he was wondering if this smaller scale meant, you know, literally smaller scale as in skirmish games, less models and stuff like that. And if you've listened to to Jason on the podcast before, you know, he's got these massive armies uh, at 28 mil, you know, it's, it's big grand scale stuff. And to me, that isn't about, you know, that, that isn't the opposite of what Joe was saying about less is more. I think you could have a less is more approach with massive armies, with loads of miniatures. I think it's more about less is more in terms of projects. Like how many different projects do you either have on the go at any one time and how much new stuff, new rule systems, new miniature ranges and that are you always getting into and and bringing on board with your hobby as well. Um, I think it's about you know, this going deeper, this, you know, I've got these three or four rule sets and I know them very well. I've got this book of scenarios, I've got this collection of miniatures, no matter how big that might be, but, you know, every every regiment, I know, I know it's history, you know, it's got its names, I've I've got these characters, it's, there can be depth at a grand scale, if that makes sense. So I, I, I definitely don't think it's about, you know, we all play tiny skirmish games. That's that's definitely not how I interpret that less is more approach. But yeah, if you've not heard that episode, by the way, it was the last one on the feed. Really good episode with Joe and he's been on the show a couple of times before then as well. So those are well worth checking out if you haven't already heard them. And on the subject of slowness and depth in the hobby, you've maybe heard me talking on the show before about the Slow Hobbyist Manifesto, which was partly written tongue in cheek, but you know, there's a lot of genuine sentiments in there too and and it's been great to hear from folks that that feel that it resonates with them and their approach as well and I know I've touched on this in previous episodes but I just I just actually wanted to 
to go through it now point by point and uh, let you hear each one just in case you've not had the chance to, to get on the website and read it. And I've actually added one in here as well off the back of uh, speaking to Cam because he was talking in his episode about being a good steward and passing the torch and things like that. So that's been that's been since added into the manifesto as well. So let's get a wee look at it now. So point one is a miniature agnostic approach. We embrace a diverse array of miniatures choosing models based on our personal preferences rather than succumbing to the pressure of the latest releases. Our armies are a unique reflection of our individual tastes and creativity. Two is the art of patience. We reject the notion of instant gratification and embrace the slow, meditative process of painting. A little progress each week accumulates into a masterpiece over the course of a year. Our armies are not just collections, they are the product of patience, dedication and love for the craft. Number three is deep dive into rule sets. We immerse ourselves in the intricacies of rule sets, delving deep into the nuances of each game system we adopt. We value mastery over variety, savouring the richness of each rulebook and relishing the strategic depth that comes with a profound understanding of the mechanics. Four is resistance to hype. We resist the allure of new releases and the constant drumbeat of hype that surrounds them. Our choices are guided by genuine interest and the desire for a lasting connection with our miniatures and the games we play. Trends may come and go, but our commitment endures. Number five is nostalgia as a guiding light. We cherish the nostalgia of old rule systems, classic miniatures and the timeless aesthetic of traditional craftsmanship. Our journey is a celebration of the history and evolution of the hobby, honouring the pioneers and the classics that paved the way. Number six is quality over quantity in gaming. We may not have the opportunity to play games frequently, but when we do, it is a cherished occasion. Each game is an immersive experience and we savour the camaraderie, strategy and narrative unfolding on the tabletop. Number seven is favouring storytelling and narrative experience. We prioritise the narrative experience on the tabletop, we've enriched stories around our armies and battles. Each miniature represents a character with a history and every game unfolds as a chapter in an ongoing saga. The narrative adds depth and meaning to our hobby, transcending the mere mechanics of play. Number eight is rejecting the notion of perfect balance. We reject the pressure for every game to be perfectly balanced and fair, embracing the unpredictability and quirks of the rules. We find joy in the narrative twists that arise from the unbalanced nature of our chosen games. It's in these imbalances that stories become more vibrant, unique and memorable. Number nine is being good stewards of the hobby. We recognise our role as custodians of a rich and storied tradition. We lead by example, inspiring younger generations to embrace the slow, deliberate approach that defines our passion. We encourage patience, creativity and a genuine love for the craft, nurturing a community where the values of the hobby endure and flourish and all are welcome. And number 10 is community and camaraderie. We build a community based on shared values, camaraderie and a genuine passion for the hobby. Our gatherings are not just about the games but also about the exchange of ideas, tips and the joy derived from our collective creativity. So again, like I've said many times before, very grandiose, very flowery, but the the sentiments there are truly genuine and I I hope you do enjoy that. You might might not agree with all of it and that's fine. I'm not, again, I'm not not forcing your own ethos on you. 
Uh, and yeah, this is all just a bit of fun. But that's the Slow Hobbyist Manifesto. And again, you'll find a link to the article itself in the show notes. Something else that I wanted to talk about, and I'd alluded to this earlier, is a book called Sci-Fi Skirmish Scenarios by John Lambshead. It's got a foreword from Rick Priestley as well. I think the two work together quite regularly. And I put a wee review up on the site because I just, I really loved this book. Like it is, all, in all honesty, like my favourite hobby book that I've I've read so far because it's, it's given you stuff to actually, you know, set up your tabletop and, and there's things to do and achieve. So I, I love getting rules. I love rule sets. I love reading how they work. And, you know, that alone generates ideas and you often get scenarios that come with rule books and stuff like that. But here's a book that is just about scenarios. You know, it's it's agnostic to what rule system you're using. And there's just, there's loads of variety in there. I think it's 36 overall scenarios. There are, a, there are one or two of them that are very similar. You're always going to get that, especially with that amount of scenarios in there. But there's, there's just, it gives you so many good ideas either to follow these scenarios verbatim or just put a little twist or adapt them slightly. And as you heard me saying at the start, like I, you know, they're, they're sci-fi skirmish scenarios, but you could reskin them for fantasy or historical or whatever. Like you're not bound to that setting. I think it's just, you know, if you're writing a book like that, it would be far too generic just to say miniature war game scenarios because There'd be a lot of caveats, you know, if it's bows and arrows, then this, if it's laser guns, then this. So John putting that sci-fi element to it just lets him concentrate on that. And I think we're all clever enough. If you could read the book and if you play games anyway, you'll have the imagination where you could tweak things here and there. So I would get this even if you don't play in the sci-fi sandbox. Like if you do historicals, if you do fantasy or a bit of both, you could still definitely benefit from having this game in your library. And I think like the, the scenarios alone are worth the money of the book, which by the way isn't very much. I, I want to say it's like twelve pounds, something like that. So really nothing at all compared to some of the some of the prices you see in this hobby for things. But you've got the, the scenarios, you've also got um chapters on well, there's random scenario generation and there's tools on how to do that. You know, if if you did manage to play through all these scenarios and want to want to keep it going there's there's ways to do that you know he talks about campaigns and linking scenarios together and there's elements uh, there's instructions on solo play and there's cool solo scenarios in there too if you if you're a solo war gamer so there really is something for everyone in this book in terms of some of the the ideas and mechanics that John offers for solo play one of them was the the wandering monster and we we actually used this in a recent game of brutal quest so You've got a an NPC monster in the middle of the table and at the start of each turn, it, we were just using a D6 because that's what it said in the book, but you could use any dice really. The, the idea is, you know, we're going into the start of the next turn, we're both going to roll and if one player beats the other person's roll by two, uh, they get to control this random monster for that turn. And, the, the, you know, you could make the random monster pretty powerful and you could do a bit of damage, cause a bit of chaos there. But likewise, you don't want to get too close to it because it could turn on you in the, the next turn as well. So I just thought that was a really cool way to, to mix it up with a game. Even if you were just doing the, the standard pitch battle, you could chuck the random monster in there and that would really liven things up as well. So yeah, that was just one little cool thing in this book 
packed with, with really cool and interesting ideas. Uh, the electric screen scenario, I think I've talked about that on the podcast before, but again, just a a nice highlight for me, this, this big screen, it could be an electric screen, it could be a magic screen, but you've got both warbands on either side and there are rewards for trying to get through there and kill the opponents on their side, but you know it doesn't come without its risks as well. So I'm looking forward to trying that one out. Another really fun one that I noticed was a scenario called Drone Dance. Uh, so the idea here was that there's a there's a drone on the tabletop and both players are trying to chase it and catch it and get it under their control. And the way it moves is almost like a ball. So if you take a bird's eye view of your playing area, your tabletop, your mat, whatever, and the drone, it's just going to basically move around. It's going to hit the edge of the table and rebound back. And it's just going to act like a bouncing ball, a perpetually bouncing ball all around that that playing area. So it's always moving and the, the players are, are trying to chase it. Uh, and this got me thinking again. This is this is what's really nice about a book like this because it get it gets you thinking about things in a different way. It, it presents things that you maybe not considered before. And it's funny how you you maybe sit on an idea for for months or years, and you might have forgotten about it. But I'd always been thinking about like, and I, I'm dare say I'm not the only one here, but you know, a one v one miniatures game. Can that be done? Like, I've got one miniature, you've got one miniature. It's almost arena combat style. And it, it, it turns out, you know, that games like this do exist and people have managed to pull it off. But for me, the big the big barrier with a game like this is, so why bother with the miniatures other than just decoration? Like, if I had a, if I had a gladiator and you had a gladiator and, uh, you know, we just played this as if it were a normal, quote-unquote, normal skirmish game. Both players, they're going to move into combat and that's all they're going to have to do is just start fighting. Once they're locked in combat, there's there's really no need for miniatures. So I'd always wondered about, like, are there ways around that? And then it must have just been sitting in my subconscious. And then when I saw this idea for the drone, I thought, well, that's maybe the key here is if you've got one miniature each, there needs to be a reason why these characters need to keep moving. So if you took that drone mechanic and replaced the drone with, uh, you're replacing that with something that they're then trying to avoid, so they need to keep moving. So in a fantasy setting, just a, a ball of magic fire or something like that, it could be a gi giant creature or insect. It could be, you know, it could be an arena and a, a dystopian or sci-fi sort of setting where, uh, you know, if, if players uh, stop for any length of time, there's maybe like a sniper, a slaver or something like that going to take a shot at them. So maybe that is just the bead of their gun moving around the table. So it got me thinking about that, like a 1v1 sort of arena combat game, bringing in a mechanic like this, something that's moving, you know, auto-generated, but it's moving around the table and it means that you need to keep moving. You can't just sit there. Uh, and and fight each other. You've got to you've got to be more dynamic. You've got to keep dodging and things like that. So, I'd put a post up on the site about that as well. I, I had some ideas of my own. Not trying to claim full credit here at all, because like I say, this is an idea that I've picked from the book. But I've just I've kind of got my own spin on it and and proposed some ideas as well. So, if you've ever been interested in doing one v one games and trying them out, and you, you hadn't thought about this idea before 
then uh, check out the show notes for a link to that post as well. And who knows, maybe you'll get some ideas for your own games. So that's that sci-fi skirmish scenarios by John Lambshead. You'll find that on Amazon and I dare say it's available in a few different uh, online stores as well. But uh, aye, just a, a brilliant book. Definitely my favourite book in my collection. And I've got a lot of favourite books, but uh, there, there's just so much to do in this book. There's so much to try out and uh, it'll, it'll you know, get you thinking about your own ideas as well and your own scenarios and, and ways to tweak those. Alright then, we're getting towards the end of the episode. Thanks very much for sticking with me. I just have one more shout out for that voice question of the month. Again, I'd really love to hear your opinions and your feedback on Warhammer The Old World. Are you going to be playing it? And if so, you know, what's what's causing you to dive in? I'd, I'd love to hear it. Um, what are your hopes for the game? Have you tried it so far? You know, what army are you going to be using? Will it be a new army? Is it an existing army? So, you know, tell me all about that. And uh, on the flip side, if you've no interest in playing it, why not? You know, there's an argument that this game coming back would be massively interesting and exciting for folks listening to this show. So if you're deciding not to play it, then, uh, you know, what are your reasons for, for not doing so? Like I say, bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail is where you could find that wee button to send your audio feedback. And uh, yeah, please do shout out your own podcast, YouTube channel, social media account, website, blog, whatever whatever you've got to, to document your hobby content. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. And uh, thanks once again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you could find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash Discord. It'd be great to see you in there.